Um, okay, so we're in Mark chapter 9. If I, I don't title messages. If I title this one, I'd, I'd call it Mountaintops and Valleys. And for reasons that will become apparent as we go. Um, I'm going to start reading in verse 9, and I'm going to finish reading in verse 29, and then we'll, pray, uh, we'll have prayer, and then we'll uh, unpack. Okay, verse 9 of chapter 9 in the Gospel of Mark. As they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Uh, And they asked him, saying, What say the scribes, that Elias must first come? And he answered and told them, Elias is verily Uh, cometh first and restoreth all things, and how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come, and they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto, uh, this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind cometh forth, can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Let's pray. Father, what an exciting time as we come before you. I think that a man... uh, not a particularly bright man or impressive man, can open the Word of God and God can speak to us. And we want that to happen here this morning, Lord. We want you to speak to our hearts the things that you would have us know, uh, that this would be a glorious time where God's voice is heard. Um, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray for your blessing. Uh, anxiously, Lord, we await it. And Lord, at the end of this time, if your word went forth into our hearts, Lord, we would call it a good time and that 
That's what we would like to see, Father. So we, we pray that, that in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, you know, we talked about taking up the cross and following him. Usually that's enough for one person for a sermon. But I kind of coupled that with the transfiguration. I want you to give me everything. I want it all. I don't want you to hold back anything. If you give me your life, you'll save it. If you try to hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. Big ask. But he's worthy of it. And that's why I kind of wanted to couple it with the transfiguration. It's not just some carpenter from Galilee who's asking. It's God. And if the transfiguration shows us anything, it shows us Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in his glory. And I think that's kind of what I wanted to convey last week. Uh, is there any doubt of the deity of Jesus Christ? Verse 7 should clear that away. There was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. I always laugh, you know. People, why don't God just, if, he, if he's there, why don't he just open up the heavens and speak? Okay. <laughs> Whatevs, you know. And, and people will... But that doesn't convince anybody. If he did that right now, you know, there's another time in Scripture where he said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And people said, it thundered. I mean, if you don't want to believe, you'll always find a reason not to believe. And uh, suddenly they looked around. They saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Of course, we covered that last week. As they came down from the mountain, you ever have a mountaintop experience? That'll be one of the homework questions this week. Have you had a mountaintop experience? When you have, have you had a, a situation, a time? Perhaps you're away at a woman's retreat or a East Coast Pastors Conference or some sort of Bible getaway, something. Maybe you just had a personal time with God when God spoke to you, when he, when he quickened your spirit, when he drew close to you, we drew near. When you were in a really tough situation, he showed up and rescued you. Do you have one of these, we call them mountaintop situations. People aren't designed to live on mountaintops. I, I've been to the top of Katahdin. Some of you have. Uh, do you see any houses up there? We, we, don't, we don't live there. We visit there, and it's grand, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful. But we don't live there. We live in a fallen world. And there's more valleys, the truth be told, than mountaintops. Valleys are okay. I mean, it's life. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Where do we learn of the lily of the valley? In the valley. I mean, you know, there's, there's times where times are tough, and that's where we meet Jesus. And he's the, he's the God of our mountaintop experiences, and he's the God of our valleys. And this is kind of dramatically shows. So, you know, we have those mountaintop experiences. What happens? You come home, and the, there's a hole in the roof. The uh, water heater blew up. The uh, cat's thrown up on the new carpet. Uh, you got a flat tire, and... Uh, what? You know, that, that's kind of pretty normative. That's how it is. Or even if none of those things happen, you come down from the mountaintop and because it was so intense and so full of the Lord and he spoke to us and we come back to like earth and what do we see? Ugh, earth. You know, bombing, school shooting, an election. Horrible things, you know, uh, uh, a pandemic. And, and this, is, this is where we live, and, and this is how it is. 
But he's the God of the mountains, he's the God of the valleys. And most of the time, truth be told, we're in the valleys a lot more than we're on the mountaintops, and we need to know some things about the Lord of the valleys. So let's look at it. He came down from the mountain. He charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen. Why? Till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. Because they don't have the complete picture, and surely they would bollocks it up. We have the complete picture now, and people still bollocks it up. People still don't know who Jesus is, and they still don't say the right story about him. Don't tell uh, until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. You don't see it in English. Ek Necron is out from among the dead. Well, they had an idea of the resurrection. They had a general sense of resurrection. You remember when Jesus goes to raise Lazarus, your, son, your brother will live again. And he says, well, she says, I know at the resurrection. They, had, they, they believed in resurrection, but they didn't understand out from among the dead resurrection. We have the Again, we have the whole thing. There's two resurrections, the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the damned. And they both happen. They're, they're not events so much as they are categories. And the first one especially happens in, in part. Jesus Christ, the first fruits of them that slept. The general resurrection, we call it the rapture. But that's, that's the resurrection. I, be, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. And the teaching that it's in first... Um, Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Grand and glorious, and if I talk about that now, I, I won't come back and cover anything, so we have to set that aside. They understood resurrection, but they didn't understand the categories, and they didn't understand out from among the dead. He wasn't going to arise in the resurrection. He was going to be the first fruits of them that slept, and this is what he's conveying to them as they can grasp it, as they can understand it. They're saying, what is this rising out from among the dead? And they asked him, saying, why say the scribes that Elias, Elijah, okay, must first come? You say, well, that's a non sequitur. No, of course, they just saw Elijah and Moses. And the question is, you know, okay, the kingdom, we, the kingdom's not going to happen until Elijah comes first. That's what the scribes have been saying. By the way, the scribes are right. You can look at that, and we're close to it. If you go left, you, get, you run into the Gospel of Matthew. If you go left of... Matthew, you come into the book of uh, uh, Malachi, and verse 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Read here, tribulation. What's going to happen? Well, Elijah's going to come first, before the day of the Lord. It says it. The scribes are right. He shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest they come and smite the earth with a curse. This verse is one of the reasons that some of us believe that Elijah is one of the two witnesses of the 11th chapter of the book of the Revelation. Many of us believe that. Most of us believe that who take eschatology literally and seriously. Okay, there's, there's, a, there's a camp like, yeah, this is already past, it's ancient history, They've got nothing really to say about it. They say things that, I, well, I don't want to be disparaging. Let's just leave that. I will send you Elijah before the tribulation. And now the scribes have picked up on that. And of course the tribulation and then the kingdom. 
And they say, well, Elijah's going to come first. And now, now they see Elijah. And he answered. It's a good question. There's no rebuke here. He told them, yeah, you're right. Elijah verily cometh first and restoreth all things. And how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. Now, is that a non sequitur? Is that not follow? He says, uh, yeah, Elijah's going to come first. But even before that, let me tell you how it's going to play out. The Son of Man, when he calls himself the Son of Man, he's, this is always referring to his deity. You say, yeah, Son of Man, deity. In the Old Testament, Son of Man was a messianic title. And he goes third person on us, and he's talking about deity all through Scripture. Every time he talks about himself in the third person, he's talking about his divinity. You can check it out. It's a wonderful study. Look at it for yourself. The Son of Man must suffer many things to be said at naught, because you keep thinking about the kingdom. Well, there's going to be a kingdom when I show up next time, but this time I got a whole different mission. It's not about the kingdom. It's about your salvation. It's about dying for the sins of humanity. Elijah will come first and restore all things. You remember? He'll set the hearts of the children to the fathers and the hearts of the fathers. That was prophesied over John the Baptist by the angel when he visited Zechariah in the temple as given to us in the Gospel of Luke. And you can check that out for yourself. But I say unto you that Elias is indeed come. He's already come. What on earth is that? And they have done unto him whatsoever they listed, as it is written of him. Now, I don't remember if it's in Mark or I don't remember if it's in Luke. I think it's in Mark, and it's, um, I mean Matthew. I'm sorry, we're in Mark. I think it's in Matthew, and he specifically says that about, and, he, and they said, it, the verse is there, and he understood, they understood that he was talking to them of John the Baptist. They, he's already come, and they did whatsoever they wanted to do with him. Now that, you can, again, you can check that out for yourself. So he's speaking of John the Baptist, who had an Elijah-like ministry. This is not reincarnation. Some people who believe in reincarnation use this verse to prove it. Well, that's just silly, okay? I mean, and I mean, when I say it's just silly, I mean it's just silly. Uh, Hebrews says that it's given for men to live but once, and then the judgment karma, uh, you know, big cycle of life, you know, the wheel of life. You, you have a million incarnations. You messed up this time. You know, we'll get it right next time or you'll come back as an amoeba and I don't know what's less than that pawn scum if you don't get amoebahood right. And you just keep, you know, getting better and better and then you can come back as a cow. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Good. I don't know. No. No, scriptures know nothing of that. Scriptures know anything of that. You live, you get one shot at this, and then it's judgment time. He's saying, you know, if you received it, if you received me, if you received, then he would have played the part of John. The, uh, John the Baptist would have played the part of Elijah. It all would have worked out. But they did to him whatsoever they listed, which is a precursor, uh, an omen. Uh, you know, it, 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 it bodes not well for what they're going to do to Jesus. But Jesus knows that, and he says it. Uh, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be said it not. So when he came to his disciples, now they're in the valley, now they're off the mountain. 
He saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. They're not questioning. The word is arguing. It's, it's prolonged, heated exchange is kind of the idea. About what? Straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. What they, were they amazed about? Now, some say, well, he had this kind of glory on him, and he glowed like Moses glowed when he was in the presence of God. I don't think so. I don't think, I mean, you can't prove it either way, but I don't think so. He is God. He didn't have that reflected glory like Moses had. When he was glorified, it was metamorphosis is the word uh, that, well, it's close to that in Greek, but it's the word where we get metamorphosis. What was in him came out of him. It's the, it's the word, like we use metamorphosis to discuss, discuss a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. The wings didn't come down from heaven on the caterpillar, they came out from inside of him, the DNA. The DNA of Jesus Christ is glorious. He's God, okay, if God would have DNA. But what was in him came out of him, okay? That's all I'm saying. And it wasn't reflected glory. And when he put it away, turned off the light show or however that worked, it was gone. I think the amazement is he come up just at the right time, right in the middle of the conversation where... You know, he was able to answer and to refute. And they were like, you know, uh, that was an amazing thing. Or not. You know, I don't have a lot to say about that. I read some commentary and it it just didn't move me so much. And so running to him, saluted him. Shalom, common greeting of the day. They saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? So he's there right there, Johnny on the spot. Okay, what's going on here? What's, what's the, boy, they love to attack the disciples when Jesus is away. They don't like to attack Jesus anymore because they're sick and tired of getting the fuzzy end of the lollipop. Every time they debate with God, they lose. Imagine my surprise. Not at all, because I've debated with God and I've lost every single time. I tell God why this and this should be this way and why and try to point out my, sometimes it looks like prayer. I try to tell him why my, really horrible idea. It's really a great idea. And he should buy in. <laughs> it, it never works. Uh, you think I'd give up. Um, I think the scribes are getting that sense like every time you know, we argue with him, we end up with egg on our face and looking like a bunch of losers that we are. I don't think we want to do that. But they can argue with disciples and hold their own somewhat. So every time He's away, you know, when the, when the cat's away kind of thing. So the mice come out and they give the disciples grief. So the master shows up. What are you arguing about? One of the multitude, it's interesting to me, the disciples don't answer because they're embarrassed because they couldn't drive the demon out. The scribes don't answer because, again, I think they're, they hate getting beated, beat down like a rented goalie. They just, don't engage anymore at this point. But the, but the man answers. One of the multitude, as he's called here, he answers, Master, I have bought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. This is grievous to me. Can I ask you to enter in to the highs and lows of this? Don't read it just like a bunch of words. Be the father, okay? See the, the pain Understand what the the great turmoil is here. And understand how horrible Satan is. He's not not a blessing person. He doesn't come to 
hand out root beer and Skittles and make our lives grand and glorious and good. He promises, but he's a liar. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Why do we buy in? He's, he's a horrible character. Let's read about him. I want to see my son, which hath a dumb spirit. You say, well, he's not possessed by Lucifer. No, but his ilk, one of his henchmen, no doubt, one of his, his kind. With a, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. I don't know why. I remember when Jesus sent out the 70, uh, the 12, and then later on 70, he gives them power to do just this sort of thing. And they come back saying, even the demons are uh, subject to us in your name. Was that just for a season? He gave them exthusia, which is the royal right. He didn't give them dunamis, is what they're going to get in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit comes upon them. But it seems like Jesus gives them a hard time in verse 19. Is it fair? Well, of course it's fair. It's Jesus, right? I'll give you the, I'll give you the answer to that question. That's a snowball. But here's the thing. Why? And as we look through this, one, how come they couldn't cast him out? Two, why does Jesus give them a hard time about it? Because this is a lot of the homework is about these, these ideas. Um, I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Verse 19, he answered him. Jesus, speaking to the Father, he answered him and saith, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. What suffer me? Put up with. Is this Jesus blessing his disciples? No, he's... Kind of giving him the business, isn't he? And he sound, sounds like he's really grieved in his spirit. Is this, am I just reading something into it? I mean, isn't this, is this what you'd come away with also? Oh, faithless generation. How long do I have to put up with you? Rhetorical questions. He knows the answer. Every time he asks a question, as you will hear, it's never to find out the answer. He already knows the answers. Bring him unto me. Apparently the boy's not right there. So they go and they fetch him, right? They brought him unto him, verse 20. When he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. So the spirit saw his creator, doesn't like it, and like last act of defiance kind of thing. He knows where he's going. So he throws him on the ground, the boy is, my son, in verse 17, means is a diminutive form, my little son. We're looking at like four to six years old, probably. Can, why does the demon want to inhabit a four or five or six-year-old? And why does he want to treat him so horribly? Demons are not trying to advance our cause at all, ever. They're horrible beings. They cause suffering. They cause death. 
He asked his father. And again, Jesus is asking a question, right? Because he wants the answer. No. No. Because he wants to get this, elicit this response from the father, the, the one that his father gives him. How long is it ago since this came unto him? How long has he been like this, is the question. And he said, of a child. He's a child now. He's, what is he saying? Far back as I can remember. He's almost born this way. He's, in verse 25, if you look at the red letters, thou dumb and deaf spirit. Father's never had a conversation with him. It doesn't look likely he's ever going to. This is a boy who hasn't said, four or five years old, hasn't said dada yet. Where's mom? Is she here in the scene? Is she left? Freaked out? I didn't, I didn't. <laughs> this is beyond me. I, this isn't what I bargained for. And she's out of here? It's all conjecture. We don't know that. She's not mentioned. Is he going alone? He's turned from proud dad to caregiver. Just trying to keep the boy alive. Is he ever going to have that talk with him? The facts of life talk? Is he going to teach him a trade? Is he going to get married someday? All that looks very doubtful. He's just, again, if I get him through today alive, and he's probably exhausted, sleeping with one eye open, trying to keep him from hurting himself. Why would you, why would you say of, uh, uh, hurting himself? A lot of times it hath, hath cast him, speaking of the demon, verse 22, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Satan destroys. Is that, did I let the cat out of the bag? His whole... Steal, kill, destroy, boy. What about what about that? That we, don't we get? Here's a little four-year-old image bearer of God, and the dark side cannot abide that. We've got to kill him. How did he get this way? Obviously, listen. He's he, what at 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 two. He's playing with a Ouija board or something. No, it was something his dad had done. Was his dad involved in some uh, uh, idol worshiping? Is, is his father a Gentile? Is he Jewish? We don't know. So many things. We don't know. Uh, he is in the area. If he's in the base of Mount Hermon. He's in a Gentile area. Banias, it's called today. From Ban, from Pan. You know, the demon goat god. It's, it all, it's all the same. Um, anyway, he's in a Gentile area. He could be Gentile. I would submit to you, whether he's Jew or Gentile, it doesn't matter. Fathers love their sons. This is an untenable situation, obviously. It's cast him into the fire. Does the boy have scars from being burned on him? And into the waters... Try and drown him. Still kill, destroy, still kill. Do you have thoughts of suicide or that's that's Satan. That's all. 
Spirit of God, I'm spirit filled. I pray for God to just fill me and give me and, and lead me and guide me. And it's never into destruction. It's never into taking my own life. Uh, no, that's antithetical to what God's trying to do. And it, Satan overplays his hand. It's easy. Thoughts of suicide. Just put that where in the fire where it belongs. Get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> no, God's the giver of life and stuff like this. I, but that happens, and sometimes people listen, and it's a it's kind of a horrible thing. Uh, remember, Satan. Hey, you're you're God, right? Well, get up on the pinnacle of the temple, throw yourself off. He'll give his angels charge concerning thee. They won't. You you don't even you won't even bump your foot on a stone. It'll be all right. He's always trying to get us to, and if it's not death, physical death, it's death of a marriage, death of our testimony, death of our relationships, death of our finances. He'll, he'll take what he can get. Yeah, I won't give up any of it. It's all blood-bought. And this is why we take our lives and we crucify ourselves to ourselves and we give it all holding nothing back to Jesus Christ, obviously. Then it's all protected. It's all under the blood. He, it, it's cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, Jesus, hey, look at, hey, look at God on, on made flesh dwelling among us. If you can do anything, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Have compassion on us and help us. Okay, I, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he hasn't met this compassionate God yet. Maybe you haven't. That, that, that's fine. We, we, we don't, we're not born knowing that he loves us severely, desperately, intensely, crazy. I know, I know. It sounds like I'm saying something really bad about God. I don't know. I run out of adjectives really quick when I try to describe God's love toward us. God so loved the world. What's so loved mean? The writer of John chapter 3 runs, uh, runs out of adjectives. He so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son. His love for us is... Whew, I, we can't describe it. So maybe he doesn't know he has compassion. If you can do anything... Listen, if you're able to help... I mean, your disciples couldn't help, but if you're able to do anything... Hasn't Jesus demonstrated his power over demons at this point? Hasn't he cleansed lepers? Hasn't he raised dead people? Hasn't he given people with no arms, new arms? People who have never seen sight? People who have never spoken the ability to speak eloquently? If you can. What is that even? If I can... What about if you can? It's not a, I, I don't have a problem here. Uh, now, Jesus doesn't say that because he's gracious and he's kind, but he does kind of say it a little bit. He doesn't say it indignantly like I'm portraying, and I don't want to portray Jesus in a bad light ever. If thou canst believe, it's not an, it's not an I problem. I can do anything. I spoke the world into existence. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. If I can, I'm the guy who bought pulsars and quasars and novas and 
galaxies into existence when I spoke. If I can, I know how ears work. I know how eyes work. I know how cleansing happens. I know how demons do my bidding when I tell them. If I can, listen, I want us to understand this. It's never an ability thing with God. Because sometimes we put it in, in, in a way and like, we're praying for this one. Oh, but they'll never come to salvation. Oh, but they never will. We want them to get saved, but oh, it'll never happen. What are we saying? God can't deliver the goods. It's, uh, listen, listen, listen. You feel condemned right now? Because I've done this. I'm not trying to, I'm trying to rally us to the point where we understand, hey, hey, there's not a God problem here. God, God can do anything. But sometimes our faith isn't what it ought to be. We look at the, <laughs> the hugeness of the situation, that mountain, and God says, mountains? <laughs> Cast them into the sea. Do that like 40 or 50 of them before breakfast. That ain't nothing for me. It might be big heavy lifting for you, but for me it's, it's finger work. Right? If thou canst believe, or if you can do anything, no, no. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Now, did he just give him carte blanche? Because there's a lot of people who use this verse, and you can do any weird, crazy, anti God. I'm just going to speak prosperity on you right now and just because I believe and God wants you to have, you know, $18 million in a mansion and a antique auto collection and just, I don't know. He wants me to pick up my cross daily and follow him. I, I know that. I don't know if he wants me to have $18 million. You know what I mean? Um, let's, let's go slow here. The man's asking for a good thing, to be delivered from an evil spirit, his son to be delivered from an evil spirit. And there's a faith issue here. And Jesus is talking to him like this to draw out the faith in him, obviously. He's not being harsh with the man. But the man's thinking, well, if you can do anything, and Jesus puts it right back on him, well, if you can believe. Does things happen and not happen because of our faith or our lack of faith? Sometimes. Sometimes. Listen, you remember he's in one place and he could do no mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. And you think, well, God's faith is limited by a lack of belief? Well, in the sense that nobody was bringing him sick people to heal. Nobody was, yeah, it's Jesus the carpenter, he's a hometown boy, whatever. And, and it specifically says nobody he, he couldn't do many great works there because of their unbelief. The problem is their unbelief. It's not his lack of power. It's not his powers diminished when we don't believe. Again, this is the one who spoke creation into existence. Where were you believing at that time? <laughs> it wasn't a question of faith then. It's a question that sometimes we stop asking, we stop believing, and God's not working. He's not really inclined to do... If, how many things have you given up on? Again, I'm not trying to 
I'm not trying to guilt anybody here. But I've done that. Like, oh, it's just, I'm asking, it's a big ask. It's too much. And God's like, <laughs> your faith, son, needs a reboot. You need to do some work here. So what do we do in that situation? Well, we read stories like this. Why? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we're here today with the Bible open in front of us and the spirit of God's ability to talk to us and say, yeah, did you, what did you give up on? Why? I'm willing. I'm compassionate. I'm powerful. I'm able. Why do you stop believing? It's important. It's the currency of eternity. Your faith is more precious than gold to him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Listen to what I said. It's impossible. I'm not saying it's highly unlikely. I'm saying it's not in the, term, in the, in the realm of possibility. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Well, I want faith. Where do I get it? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And by the way, you're here. Congratulations. Good step. Now, don't wait till next Sunday to take the word of God in. You're going to need some every day. If you could, all things apostle, straightway the father the child cried out and said it with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Is he speaking for you? Is Because he, he's speaking for me. Sometimes I feel that way. Lord, I'm a believer. I believe that you shed your blood on a cross. You died for my sins. You brought me into your forever family. You love me. You've given me a, a, an eternal address. You've adopted me as your own son. I believe that. But Lord, for my mom to find faith, ugh, that's a tough one. Lord, help my unbelief. Build the faith in me that I need. Uh, is he not going to work until we... Because I don't want you to have faith in faith. I'm trying to thread a needle here. It's kind of hard. You're having faith in God, but you need faith to please him. And he wants us to pray and to not faint. Let's keep moving. I think we all understand that. I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. Help me to believe like you want me to believe. Jesus saw the people come running together. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. There's two parts. Go away, stay away. Hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Get out, stay out. The father needs to know both of those. That he's getting out, but then the next day he's going to be think, thinking like, oh, he's healed him, but is, the, is this demon coming back? Is it going to happen all over again? No. Jesus said, get out. Don't you come back. Stay out. And I love that. Because otherwise, you know, the, the demon just, okay, I'm out. And as soon as Jesus had his turn, is that how it works in the demon world? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Spirit cried and rent him sore. One more insolent came out of him. Why? Of course it did, because Jesus said, come out. Insomuch that everyone thought he was dead. Right? He's not dead. Nobody dies in Jesus' presence. Only ever he Heals people from death. He brings them back to life. People don't die in his presence. Not like Jesus says, okay, get out. The demon leaves, but it kills the boy in the interim. Jesus is like, oh, I messed up. Stop. But they thought he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. Listen, of course he did. Isn't that tender? Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that 
a big hug from God. He took him by the hand. What did he do next? He gave him back to his dad. It's not even written here. Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up. Did he hug him? Did he hold him close? Jesus loves little children. Did he bless them? Did he pray over them? What's happening in the heart of dad? It's unimaginable. I don't have this walking, demon-possessed, crazy kid who's trying to kill himself. I mean, more than our regular three- and four-year-olds try to kill themselves. Now I have a son. I can talk to him. I can teach him. I've got my son back. One more point. Stay with me. When he came into the house, disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? You have a demon in your life? I don't mean that you're demon-possessed. You have a something that's really, really, really hard to beat. Alcohol. Bitterness. Drugs. Pornography. Fasting. Fasting. I mean physical fasting, but I mean fasting from that... Listen, I, if I had a pornography problem, I wouldn't own a. I wouldn't own a computer. I wouldn't own a laptop. I wouldn't own a. I got an Apple product right in my pocket. And by the way, you know, you start it up, it's got a picture of an apple with a bite taken out of it. I don't know if a guy named Adam should even own such a thing, but I can control it. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not home looking at porn. I, I mean, I'm really, really not. By the way, the history is, you can talk to Susan about it. Anyone come and look at my history. I, I'm okay with that. Uh, why? I can't have that in my life. But if I had a problem with that, it would be fasting. It would be total. It would be, uh, if I had a problem with alcohol, I, I wouldn't have cough syrup. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't drive by a bar. I wouldn't, total abstinence, because I don't want to give Satan a foothold. So I think, you know, some of those spirits don't come out. They're really nasty. You've got to be. But this one here, it was prayer and it was fasting. And so what does that mean? I mean, it's kind of complicated. Stay with me one more minute. So the father comes and he says to the disciples, hey, okay, we all got to fast now. And that's, I mean, how long would the fast have gone on for? Eight seconds before they started? I mean, you know what I mean? And the, if they weren't fasting at the moment, how, how is Jesus holding them responsible for not knowing that? I think if you're living in an attitude filled by the Spirit of God, in contact with God, the type of life that has fasting in it, the type of life that puts away sin, that's so far removed from, I don't want to in any way displease the Lord. I'm so far from, I don't say this is a legalist. I'm saying this is a legalist. Your whole life should be about shunning sin. I think it kind of should be. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. But I'm not saying this in a legalistic way. I'm really not a legalistic person. But the farther we get from sin, because I know, I know so much of us is like, oh, how close can I get? How, how, how close can I get to the edge before I fall over? Before, how close can I get to sin before I'm actually sinning? I don't know. How far away can I get so that I don't come anywhere close to it? How can I live a life that's fasting? That's I, I fast all that stuff. I'm not even 
involved in any of it at all. I'm so in tune with the Father because that's what I kind of want. My life's not exactly what I want it to be, and I'm, I don't I don't want to pretend that I'm here. I'm at that place, but that's kind of the choice. That's where I want to go, and I think step one in the whole process back to laying down a life crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, I live. You're not I, but Christ liveth in me. In life that I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Taking up your cross daily and follow him. I, ha- I got nothing else. I think, that's the, I think that's the methodology. We want to feed the flesh. Flesh is always going to be there. There's a, there's a fastingness. And you say, you mean abstaining from food. Well, if that's how God... Moves, sure, but abstaining from sin. The thing that, the demon in us that loves us and stops us from being what God wants us to be. Total fast. Be hot on the flesh. Here's a word. Okay, let's stand. Let's, let's pray. I've gone over a minute or two because we're going to go over a couple minutes more, but sorry. I'll just sorry, all right? You have to forgive. That's the way it's written up. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for this word. We, truth be told, we kind of live in the valley very often. And there are the demons. And there are people who need deliverance. And Father, I just pray you know, wherever this word finds us, Lord, that it would be a benefit and take us to the place that you want us to be. Now may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen.